0: John chapter 13, verse 18. Um, We're talking about hospitality and food. This is Jesus who's been sitting down at a meal um, with his disciples, and he's just been serving them as well in a real meaning about hospitality, of of washing their feet, which we talked about last week. And then he's just finished doing that quite unusual thing um, of washing his disciples' feet. And he's got some things that he wants to say to his disciples and we get to eavesdrop on that conversation now. So um, Jesus says at this meal, I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another, at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I've dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus told him, what you're about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Jesus had char- Judas had charge of the money, some thought, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. You cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will disown me three times. There's a lot going on at the meal table there, isn't there? Um, But Pete's going to explain that passage to us. And it just really struck me that um, Simon Peter says, Lord, you know, I love you. I want to be with you. I want to commit my life to you. And Jesus says, do you really want to do that?
1: Well, good morning, everyone. As Paul said, my name's Pete. It's uh, great to see you all this morning. If it's your first time here this morning, then when we come to a passage like that one that Paul just read for us, it can feel a bit like you're coming in halfway through the story, can't it? In fact, in that passage, you're kind of coming in halfway through a conversation. But don't worry because um, you can kind of pick up quite a lot by overhearing half of a conversation, can't you? Imagine you walk into a pub, you go up to the bar to get served, and you notice there's a large group of guys sat at a table having a meal and you try not at first to overhear what they're saying. There's just chit-chat going on, but increasingly you start deliberately overhearing because you notice they seem to be part of some sort of uprising, some kind of movement. You're not sure if it's religious or political, but there's something going on. You start to lean in a bit and listen surreptitiously like that. Then you start to realize that one of them is clearly the leader. You just notice whenever he speaks, everyone else starts to really pay attention. You, you think some of them are even trying to remember it so that they can write it down later for future generations. There's clearly one of them there who's the leader, but as you're listening more and more, obviously, stepping away from the bar, stepping towards them, you notice they look uneasy. They look like they might notice that you're listening, like they feel like they're under threat, like maybe there's opposition growing against them, and they're kind of aware that you're looking, you try and look away again, try and pretend like you're not listening. Then you hear this shocking thing. The leader says, one of you here is going to betray me. You think, "Oh goodness, this is really hotting up now. You really want to turn and listen, but you feel like you can't look. And then you see them all like nudging each other, like who's it going to be? And then someone gets up and walks out. You think, was that it? Was that the guy who's going to betray him? And then just as if that wasn't enough drama, the leader then says, you know, one of you is going to turn your back on me too. What a moment of drama. And you quickly, thankfully, the barman comes, you get served, you look away. Well, that's a little bit like the scene we've got before us this morning. Jesus was having a meal with his friends. Just a few days before this, he'd risen into Jerusalem. It's like the capital city. The crowds had cheered him. There was this kind of movement growing And he's sharing this meal with his disciples as the opposition is growing too. People are trying to arrest Jesus. People are trying to dampen down this movement. As we go through this story, as we overhear this snippet of a conversation, I hope you'll see it's not just a bit of history. It's not just a kind of uh, bit of earwigging at a pub, hearing what's going on and oh, it's kind of interesting. But we're going to see who Jesus is and what he's done for us here this morning, all these years later. And we're going to see it shows us the glory of Jesus and how He can deal with our shame. So let's have a look at this passage together. In many ways, this encounter is quite amazing at this, uh, this meal. Uh, most of all, though, it's amazing because of who Jesus is. If you miss who Jesus is, then this conversation you're going to miss what's really being said and what's really being done. So let's just reread uh, verses 18 to 20. It says, I'm not referring to all of you. This is Jesus talking. I know those I've chosen, but this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am Who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. If you're reading uh, these verses, in fact, if you're reading any bit of the Bible, a good question to ask yourself is, what does this tell me about Jesus? What do these few verses tell me about who Jesus is? Well, there's one thing you should spot there. It tells us that he knew the future. He said, these things are going to happen. He said, someone is going to betray me. And I'm telling you ahead of time. That's amazing, isn't it? He knows the future. I I just think about how much time I spend worrying about what will happen in my life because I don't know the future. Well, Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus knew the future. And it isn't like some special power. He has to go to an external source to get like a kind of, Fortune teller, or something. Jesus just knew the future because Jesus knew all things. Also, says in those few verses that he says there was something written about him a thousand years before this moment, before this meal. That bit where it says, uh, He who shared my bread has turned against me. That's part of uh, from the book of Psalms, which is a song written by David. Now, David was a thousand years before Jesus and Jesus says although that was written a thousand years ago that was about me that was about what's happening at this very moment in fact Jesus is later going to tell his disciples that all of this all of the bit that came before in the bible was all written about him the whole of scripture was pointing to him I wonder what his disciples his followers thought as they sat at that meal and heard him say those things Jesus said, I'm telling you these things so that when they do happen, you'll know and you'll believe I am who I am. I wonder, did they start to piece it together there? Did they start to see that Jesus is not just a great leader to be followed, some sort of movement. It's not even just a miracle worker, but that he is God. You know, only God knows all things. Only God can know the future. Only God is the centre of the whole story of the Bible. That's mind-blowing, isn't it? As we look at this meal, Jesus is God. The holy creator and sustainer of the universe, the one we've been singing about this morning, is here having a simple meal with his friends. We mustn't miss that if we want to see how amazing this moment is. There's another thing that we can see about who Jesus is that might be kind of almost so obvious you miss it, and that's that Jesus is a man, a human. He's eating bread, he's chatting, he's leaning against his friends. Jesus is a human. Jesus is the man who is God. That's no small thing, that is incredible, and it means that every small thing that happens in this account, every small thing Jesus does has significance. Also means that you can meet him this morning. It's not just a historical figure. It's not just a story about something that happened a long time ago. It means you can meet Jesus this morning. So knowing Jesus is the man who is God helps us to see the shock of what comes next. Because there's this shameful betrayal. Have a look at verse 21. It says, after he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. You see there, Jesus is troubled in spirit. Jesus is emotional. Jesus is feeling the pain of being betrayed by someone closest to him. But you know, I think more than that, he's looking ahead to the pain of what he's facing. He knows this betrayal is going to lead on to his death at the cross. He's facing unimaginable suffering as somehow the eternal god is going to face death on the cross so then you get this kind of strange conversation that happens in verse 22 to 29 this discussion over who it is that's going to betray him they're all kind of looking at each other thinking well it's not me it's not me the disciples says it says stared at one another at a loss to know which one of them he meant so Judas was there. Judas was the money man of the group. He looked after the money, it says, didn't it? But at this point, nobody else knew that he was going to be the betrayer. It's not like he was the kind of fat cat banker sat there in his pinstripe suit with his dollar signs for eyes, kind of, you know, looking like the evil uh, money man. He just looked just like them at this point. He was indistinguishable from them. They, they didn't know. They were kind of looking around, who's it going to be? Well, Judas is a warning to us, I think, this morning, that you can be here in church this morning, you can be amongst God's people, just like Judas was, but for your heart to be somewhere else. The Bible doesn't say really that much about why Judas betrayed Jesus. He did it for money, he got paid to do it, and I wonder if he also did it for comfort. You know, the pressure was piling on, Jesus and his followers at this point, and Judas took the kind of comfortable well-paid role out that's a warning for us don't be comfortable with just coming to church being around God's people but your heart being in another place follow Jesus for yourself as we go through this story we're going to see how you can come to Jesus whatever your past is whatever's brought you here this morning so Judas, just looking like anyone else, starts the betrayal. Verse 30, it says, As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out. He went out to start this betrayal. And it was night. I wonder why John put those words in there, and it was night. You know, Judas wasn't walking in the light, was he? He's taken this path which has led him to a dark and shameful act said back in verse 27 that as soon as judas took the bread satan entered him it's like he's switched sides from the light to the dark you know that darkness is soon going to grow the wheels are in motion now as judas goes out for jesus's arrest and his crucifixion At jesus's crucifixion it says darkness came over the whole land. That shameful betrayal there on that night led to Jesus hanging on the cross. So the question you should be asking is why? Why does Jesus allow this? Jesus, the man who is God, who knows the future, controls the future, why doesn't he grab Judas by the arm as he's walking out the door and say, come back, don't do this betrayal? Well, I think the next verse gives us a hint, verse 31 says, when he was gone, that's when Judas was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man, that's referring to himself, so now Jesus is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. You see what seemed like just a moment of darkness, shame and failure for Jesus, is actually a moment of glory. When at the cross that darkness came over the land, it looked like it was a moment of shame for Jesus. In a way, it was. It was a shameful way to die, wasn't it? But these verses say the cross is where Jesus will be glorified where we will see his glory. That means where we'll see how great he is. I wonder what you would say your moment of glory is. What's your best moment? That moment that displays your glory, shows how great you are to the world. Well, because I'm up here, I'll gladly share with you my greatest moment, my moment of glory, because I'm famous. Well, kind of. I've actually been on TV, but... One day, I was sat in my office at work in Hotwells, and I saw out the window the Google Street View van, or the Bing Street View van coming past. You know that one? It goes round, takes all the pictures of the street, maps it out. So I jumped up from my desk, I ran out of my office, and I ran down the road after the Street View van. And here, many months later, is the result. Just to the left of the lamppost, Is me running. It's a good job I'm not any thinner, because I think I would have been hidden behind the lamppost. But that's my greatest moment, my moment of glory on Street View. I guess you guys have probably had more impressive moments than mine, hopefully you have, that show you at your best. We're kind of quite good, actually, aren't we, at selecting those? I put that picture straight on Facebook. I'm sure if you have a great moment, you're happy to share it with people. What would you say is Jesus's moment of glory, though? Where do we see Jesus' best? Maybe you think about when he was at that wedding and they ran out of wine. They just had water left. Not a great wedding when there's just water left. And Jesus turned the water into wine. He must have been a hero of the story there, mustn't he? And it says, it says in John, John wrote this about that, that it was the first of his signs through which He revealed his glory. So we see something of Jesus' glory at that miracle he did. Or maybe you think about an even greater miracle that Jesus did when his friend Lazarus had died and Jesus brought him back to life. John said of that in his account that that was for God's glory so that God's Son, that's Jesus, may be glorified through it. Those are moments of glory for Jesus. But all the way through John all the way through his account of Jesus, it's clear that Jesus shows his glory most fully at the cross. At verse 31 that we read, it says, now, now that this betrayal has started, now that I'm on the way to the cross, now Jesus is glorified. How can that be? How can this moment of darkness, this moment of betrayal, this shameful death that's coming be glorious? How can it be showing Jesus's glory? Well, it's because Jesus' death wasn't a mistake. He was in control. He chose to go to the cross. It was an act of love. An act of love for his disciples, sat at the table there, but an act of love for me and for you as well. Listen to these words, verse 33 to 35. He says, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You'll look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I'm going, you cannot come. Then he says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. When Jesus died on that cross, it was an act of love. He chose to die that shameful death. At the cross he took Our shame on himself. You know, Jesus never turned his back on his friends like Judas did. Jesus never committed a shameful act like that. In fact, Jesus, the man who is God, was totally perfect. We've been hearing about God's holiness and purity this morning. That is Jesus. Perfect in every way. He didn't deserve that shameful death. He only deserved glory and praise, yet as he hung on the cross, our shame was put on him. Our darkness, our sin, our failings, he suffered that shameful death in our place because he loved us, because he loved you, because he loved me wonder, do you feel the shame of the things you've done in your life? I know I do. We're so aware of the darkness of the things we've done sometimes, aren't we? The way we've treated those we love most. The thoughts we've had. Those actions or thoughts that just haunt us. The way we've ignored Jesus, the man who is God. Don't we wish that shame could be removed? Well, that's what the cross says to us our shame can be removed. Jesus took our shame on himself. So come to Jesus, let him take your shame. Let him take it in your place so you can be forgiven. You can be set free from the shame of what you've done. We can be forgiven, I can be forgiven. That prayer that we prayed this morning, we can have confidence that it will be answered. Because of the cross, because Jesus chose to be betrayed for you and for me. It's amazing love, isn't it, that Jesus has for his disciples, that he endured that shame for us. Can you see there that what looked like that moment of shame, why it's a moment of glory. What a glorious act of love for you and for me. So then Jesus says to his followers at that meal, well, I'm going away now. So as I have loved you with that amazing, glorious love, love one another. What a high calling that is, knowing how much Jesus loved for us, how much it cost him. He says, we're to love like that. We're to love one another. Judas is left at this point, hasn't he? So I wonder whether Jesus is kind of saying, well, you couldn't tell the difference between Judas and the rest of you by looking, but this is how people should know that you're different how you they should know that you're mine that you love one another says doesn't he um, uh, by this everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another that's how people are going to know that we're one of jesus followers if we love like him do we love like jesus do we love with that cross-shaped love when it's not going to be comfortable or easy do we still give everything for one another? That's what Jesus did, and we should follow him. When it would cost us emotionally, when we'd be troubled in spirit like Jesus was, we should look to the cross and love like Jesus loved. When it would be easier to take that path of comfort and wealth, we should look to the cross and love like Jesus loved. You know, because of the glory of the cross, we can do that. We are enabled to do that. But our response can be a bit like Peter's. Read uh, verse 36 and 37. It says, Simon Peter, straight after Jesus had said that, asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going. You cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. So Jesus has said, I'm going to go away. You won't be able to come where I'm going, at least not now. So he says, I give you this command, love one another. Love with this incredible love that I've loved you. And Peter just goes, well, I'm just going to ignore that bit about love. Right, where are you going, Jesus? I'm coming with you, what's next? I'm ready for the fight, I'll even lay down my life for you. I'm up for this, I can feel my moment of glory coming. I wonder whether Peter's even imagining the headlines. You know, Peter, the humble fisherman, saves the savior. And just as he's envisioning, envision, envisioning this um, future moment of glory, Jesus just says these words, verse 38. Will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly I tell you, before the rooster crows, you'll disown me three times. That must have cut Peter to the heart, mustn't it? Being told that before the night is over, you're gonna deny me. You're gonna deny you even know me. Far from having your moment of glory, you're gonna fail spectacularly. You know, Peter did go on to deny Jesus just like jesus had said peter stood at a distance as jesus was sentenced as jesus was crucified people asked peter if he knew jesus he said i don't have anything to do with him i don't know him peter's moment of glory turned into a moment of shame i love how peter is betrayed so honestly in this account don't you know that feeling he had don't you want to just be like that, sometimes I can be itching to get my moment of glory, to be the hero of the story. But just like Peter, I can forget that actually God's command is to love. I'm aiming for my own personal moment of achievement, and it just exposes my shame. Do you know what? Praise God, that's not the end of Peter's story. It's the end of our passage this morning. It's where it kind of finishes on this cliffhanger of, will Peter do this? But it's not the end of Peter's story. I love those words that Dan highlighted for us last week. He said that Jesus loved his disciples and he loved them to the end. You know, after Jesus died, he rose again. I mean, let that sink in for a minute. Isn't that amazing? Jesus died, was dead for three days, and then rose again. Shows us who he is, that he is God. But after he rose again, he appeared to Peter. He forgave Peter and he restored that relationship with him. Jesus took away Peter's shame through what he did on the cross. Later in Peter's life, he wrote some letters to more of Jesus' followers who by now were scattered around the area. And one of the things he wrote were these words, 1 Peter 3 verse 18. It's up on the screen there. For Christ, that's Jesus, also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. You know, when Jesus rose again and met Peter, it totally changed Peter. He realised it wasn't his own moment of glory he needed in life. He saw the glory of the cross. He went from trying to be the hero to realising that Jesus had done it all. You know, this verse shows that Peter knew he was unrighteous. He knew the many public ways he'd failed. He knew the shame of all he'd done. But he understood the glory of the cross. He understood that Jesus, the righteous one, who never did anything wrong, the man who is God, total in holiness and purity, suffered for us. The righteous suffering for the unrighteous. And why it says in that verse, to bring us to God. You know, Peter was brought to God. At the cross, Jesus' glory dealt with Peter's shame. You know, it's just the same for you. This morning, Jesus' glory at the cross can deal with your shame. Peter was a man tainted by his sin and shame, but he was made righteous and brought to God. That can be true for you this morning. There's kind of two characters in this story, aren't there? Judas and Peter, both responding to Jesus. Both turned against Jesus in different ways that night. Judas never turned back to Jesus, and the shame of his betrayal consumed him. But Peter was restored, and his shame removed. Here this morning, Jesus stands before us, the... Holiness that Paul talked about confronts us, makes us aware of our darkness, our shame, the ways we failed. So, what will we do? Will we turn away like Judas, or will we, like Peter, come and have our shame removed and be restored? You know, Jesus loves you, He loves you to the end. He loved you to the cross so that He could deal with your shame. Free you from your past. Free you even from your present weakness and searching for that moment of glory. Free you to live that life of love for one another. Loving one another as he has loved you all the way to the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're So ready to be like Peter and look for what we can do for our moment. To jump up and kind of act before thinking, Lord Jesus, we look to you. Lord, we see your glory, your holiness. And we are just so aware of our shame, the ways we've failed you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross that you took our shame on you, that you dealt with it completely. We thank you that we can be free from shame because you've forgiven us at the cross because of the glory of the cross. Lord, we want to live a life that's responding to you in love. Lord, we want to live a life of loving one another as you have loved us. Lord, please help us to do that this week. Will help us to follow you. Lord, we thank you that you love us to the end, that one day we'll stand with you in glory and praise you for all you've done. Amen.